Here we go. Great. How cool is it that uh, people get baptized in the Atlantic? I'm assuming that's just pretty hardcore. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we have the Indian Ocean where we are, and it's still a challenge to get people into the sea. But uh, what a wonderful sight to see. Um, it's just so good to be with you. Uh, so wonderful to see uh, the church full. You know, I know there's social distancing, seats are apart, but uh, we've had three services, and it's just so good to, to see so many faces. So uh, well done on making it out, and uh, I hope and pray that after tonight, you're going to feel really uncomfortable, because that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. I want to talk to us about the Christian walk of discipleship under the theme of uncomfortable. Now, let me begin by asking you to, to imagine. Imagine with me a politician on a stage making an impassioned plea to his audience, saying the following, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to vote for me, you are voting to lose your jobs. If you are going to follow me, you are voting to lose your comforts, possibly even your home. If you vote for me, you are voting for higher taxes and lower income. Who's in? Very few. Very few. But if we change the scenario, and instead of a politician on stage, we have someone who's leading an extremely important expedition because there's a people who've been cut off from a massive landslide, and they are cut off from uh, uh, supplies, and they're starving, and he's leading an exposition, uh, expedition, and he's calling people to join him, to, to lay down their time, to lay down their efforts, their energies, to sacrifice, and to join him in this dangerous mission of taking supplies to this cut-off people group. You see, the context changes everything. The call to follow, the call to sacrifice, the call to radical commitment changes completely depending on the urgency of the situation, depending on the integrity of the person, and depending on the context that we're called to sacrifice towards. Now, when we come to Jesus, he also makes an impassioned plea that people would follow him, that people would sacrifice, that people would commit to giving their lives in service to him. And when we see Jesus do this, there is not a hint of false advertising. And so if you have a Bible, go with me to Mark chapter 8. Jesus lays it out very clearly here for us. There is no false pretenses. He gives us an exact picture of what he wants from us. In Mark 8, verse 34, let's read it together. It goes, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We all know that the first role of a successful marketing campaign is to give the consumers what they want. 
If they want bigger burgers, we supersize the burgers. If they want bottled water in 60 flavors, we give them 600 flavors. If they want TV with 500 channels, we give them 5,000 channels. We give the consumer what they want. In order to stay ahead, in order to compete with the competitors, sometimes we have to modify the product, we have to modify the message in order to stay in keep with others. But this is not the way of Jesus. This is not the way of Jesus. Jesus makes it incredibly difficult to join his movement. Did you notice that in this text? He doesn't lower the bar, he raises the bar. He makes it difficult for people to join and easy for them to leave. The modern church does it exactly the other way around. We want to make it as easy as possible to join, and then we make it incredibly difficult to leave. Christianity at its core has always been countercultural, different to the culture. This is the whole point of being salt and light. This is the whole point of being God's called out ones, the church, the ecclesia, the, the people of God, distinct, different, in the, in the world but not of the world. Christianity is distinctive like that. But if we start to reflect the culture, we lose our Distinctives. If we start to look like the culture, if the church starts to mirror the world, if we start to look like the ways of the world, we lose our effectiveness. We call this in our church Donald Trump Christianity. Listen to what Russell Moore says. He says, when Christianity starts to reflect the culture... Whether the culture be a political agenda or fashion trends or recreational activities, Christianity like that will only last as long as it's useful to its host. Because at its root, it is idolatry. And the reality is that people turn from their idols when they stop sending rain. The minute you, 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 you've, you're not being given what you want, the minute you feel like, well, this isn't what I asked for anymore. And so let's consider these words of Jesus a little more closely. And we're going to look at it under two main headings. The first one is this, the cost of being a disciple, the cost of being a disciple. Because this is the big idea of Jesus in this passage. In verse 34, let's look at it again. He says, if anyone would come after me. Firstly, I want you to notice how broad this call is, how inclusive Jesus is. We, we, we're going to see some exclusive realities, but first let's see how inclusive is. The broad call, if anyone would come. This is the church. The church's function is to open the doors, to open our hearts to the city. But we don't modify the message. Because look at this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. How quickly we've got narrow, right? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Don't follow the culture, don't follow your heart. Whatever you do, don't follow your heart, please. Lead your heart, you have to lead your heart to follow Christ. You see, 
Jesus here is not really describing how we get through the door of salvation. This isn't really a passage about how you become a Christian. This really is a passage about what reveals a Christian. This is really all about discipleship and the cost of discipleship. Jesus is telling us about those who've already passed through the door of salvation. This is how we identify disciples, followers of Christ. Jesus says here that there are two main things that define Christian discipleship, and they are self-denial, deny yourself, and sacrifice, take up your cross. This is the exact opposite of what the world says, right? The world tells us, believe in yourself, trust yourself, trust your heart, promote yourself, boost yourself, All about self-esteem. Be whatever you want to be. Self-actualization is the mantra of our day. They tell us, well, only do something if you really feel like doing it. Only, Only do something if you're really comfortable to do it. Now, imagine... Imagine doing life and family, especially family. Imagine trying to raise kids like this. Make your bed if you feel like it. Or take a shower when you're comfortable. I have a son. This would not work. (laughs) Or wash the dishes if you believe in clean dishes. And we could go on. We could give illustrations because at the core of this is this consumer mentality where it's really not about denying self. It's all about embracing the self. And yet, here's the irony, and yet the fruit of this generation is we have a people who are angry and anxious. Isn't that the irony? And so the the mantra is self-actualization, be a better you, fulfill yourself. All of the self-nonsense actually is leading to people who are angry and anxious. And so what is Jesus calling us to here? Is this this another kind of call to just a, a, a mundane kind of painful existence? And the answer is no. Because at the heart of this is deny self, lose your life in order to save it. Denying self brings about an incredible freedom because I'm no longer focused on me. And so the call to follow Christ, the call to be a disciple is self-denial and take up the cross. The primary symbol of Christianity is the cross, the old rugged cross, not the crib. And not a carpenter's bench, but a cross. Take up the cross. This would have been incredibly uncomfortable. This would have been incredibly difficult. This would have been incredibly hard to take up the cross, to to take up that rugged cross would have would have been met with much discomfort and disdain persecution listen to c.s lewis the great apologist he says i did not go to religion 
to make me happy. I knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. He was onto something. And so let's just look a little deeper at this idea of taking up the cross, this idea of denying self. And Jesus wants to point out to us three uncomfortable discipleship expectations here. The first one is uncomfortable truth. This is still under the cost of discipleship. Uncomfortable truth. Look at verse 38. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Notice how Jesus puts himself, the person of Christ, and the words of Christ together. Don't be ashamed of me and my words. If we're going to be followers of Christ, that means we're going to be followers of his teachings. We cannot separate the person of Christ from the words of Christ. And by the way, we're not just talking about the red letters in the first four Gospels. We're talking about the whole Bible because Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who together with Father and Son and uh, together with the Father and the Spirit in that holy communion gave us revelation through prophets and apostles. And so all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is Christ-centered. And Jesus is the first uncomfortable reality for us as Christians, as those who follow Jesus, is that we're going to feel uncomfortable with some of his teachings, most of his teachings. We're going to feel uncomfortable when he starts to teach about how we should do work, how we should do relationships, how we should do marriage, how we should think about sexuality, how we should frame gender realities, how we should understand marriage and roles, and how we should do ministry. We don't decide how we do that stuff. That's not what disciples do. What disciples of Christ do is we come under the authority of Christ. That's what it means when we receive him as Lord. We're not ashamed of him And his words, his ways, his teaching, the word of God is our final authority on all these matters. They're not up for grabs. They're not up for debate. They're not there to be deconstructed and then somehow reconstructed because times have changed. No. Yes, we might be more modern, but the heart of man is the same. Human needs are the same. Human sin is the same. I I encourage you, travel the world and you tell me, does it look any different? No. It's the same problems all over the world. And the answer is the same answer. It's Jesus and his words. And as Christ's sheep, we are the sheep of his fold. The the sheep of God are not ashamed of the voice of God. The, the, The sheep are not offended by Christ's voice. Listen to what Alec McHugh says. He says, we must put away our convenient notions of God. The one who always agrees with us. The one who always favors our nation or political agenda. The one who feeds us candy and never vegetables. In other words, the teachings, the words of Christ are going to be uncomfortable to our hearts. 
And that's a good thing. That's a good sign. Because imagine, if, imagine how convenient it would be if Jesus thought just like you. I'll tell you what, you wouldn't be believing the Bible. You'd just be believing a better version of what you are in your own eyes. And the minute we lose truth, the minute we lose sight of the, of the words of Christ, we have nothing really to offer the world. And the reason why this, this is uncomfortable is because it's not popular. And there is only one way to escape persecution, and that is to compromise on truth. And this is what Jesus is aiming at. He's saying, don't be ashamed of me and my words. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be disdain. And his encouragement to us is, oh, I feel uncomfortable. And he says, yes, I know you're going to feel uncomfortable. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Trust me. We sang it tonight, didn't we? You are good. When it comes to marriage, ministry, cultural issues, what Jesus says about those things might cut across the culture, but I submit to you, they are good. Yes, they might be outdated. Who cares? But they are good. We are a part of an ancient faith. We are a people of of a faith that's been tried and tested through generations. And what Christ taught is still good. It is the foundation for healthy families and society. We cannot let go just because we feel uncomfortable. The second thing, expectation, is uncomfortable community. Look at verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them. Notice there are two groups of people listening. There's the crowd and there's the disciples. The gospels regularly do this. Jesus is often talking to both crowds and disciples. And he says this to both groups, but not everyone's a disciple. Do you see that? There's crowds and there's disciples. Which are you, I ask? I will tell you which group feels comfortable. The group that feels comfortable is the crowd. Why? Because, well, they can be part. It's easy to be part of the crowd. You can just come and go as you please. It's convenient. It's comfortable. It's easy. You can blend in. You can check out. No one really needs to know you. You you don't need to know anyone else. It's just so easy to be part of the crowd. But here's the downside. You don't get to walk and follow Jesus. That's not what disciples do. Disciples move from being in the crowd to being followers of Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple. If you are joined to Christ, you are joined to each other. There's this incredible reality that the minute I put my faith and trust in Christ, the minute I follow Christ, I realize I'm not following him alone. I have others who are following him him too. And together we follow in a community. And it's an uncomfortable community because, hey, I would never have hung out with these people before. They're not like me. They may be older than me, maybe younger than me. They speak different languages to me. They have different interests to me. But you know what? We're all following Jesus. We We don't have our eyes on our issues. We got our eyes on Christ. And if you're only going to join a community when you feel comfortable, listen, that that kind of commitment to that community that's just so just like you, a me-centered community will end up being a no community. 
Because why do you need it? Because you're just getting a, another version of yourself if it's all just like you. And so the call to discipleship is a call to engaging in an uncomfortable community. It's called church, where there are people that are irritating, who bother us, who get under our skin, who say things we don't like. They sing songs we don't like. They, 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 they say things from the pulpit that we don't like. Maybe it's not my favorite coffee. Whatever it might be, it's, it's, there's just these weird things that creep into the life of the church and we get all uncomfortable and then we think, well, I need to, look, I need to go. No, actually, that's the moment where you actually need to dig deep and go, God, you've called me. What do I need to do? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and walk it out with this community. Now, don't get me wrong. There are moments where God does move people on. But by and large, we move on too quick. The third thing is uncomfortable mission. Uncomfortable truth, uncomfortable community, uncomfortable mission. Verse 35, have a look there with me. It says, whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels. It sounds similar to the first point. Ashamed of me and my words, lose your life for my sake and the gospels. Isn't it interesting how he adds that? Because there's a, there's, there's, there's a point to following Christ. There's, we, we, we want others to join us. It's, it's for Christ's sake and the good news. The gospel needs to go out. But notice firstly that what Jesus demands of us here, he himself fulfills. He first lays down his life. He loses his own life. He denies himself. He takes up his cross and he follows the instructions of his father. And then he says, you now do the same. Do it for my sake and for the gospels. And then he says, in doing this, in losing your life for my sake. Look at it. Whoever loses his life for my sake. This isn't some random commitment. This is a purposeful action on our behalf. I'm going to be obedient to Christ. I'm going to follow Christ. The instructions of Christ, the words of Christ, the life of Christ, the teachings of Christ. I want to submit my whole life and I'm going to lose my life for the sake of Christ. And Jesus says, through doing that, you will gain it. You will gain it. You will save it, he says. And the reverse is true. Is if you don't do that, if you don't do that, if you're half-hearted, half-baked, always just doing things when you're comfortable, the irony is you will lose your life. You'll lose sense of meaning, lose a sense of purpose, Jesus himself undergoes this. Jesus is not only the perfect substitute, but he's the perfect example. He lost his life. And then the father says, therefore, he is highly exalted and given the name above all names. In verse 31, just a few verses earlier, we started at verse 34, but verse 31, Jesus reminds his disciples, he says this, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And I, I'm thinking to myself, man, that, those are the people he came for. These are his brothers. These are the Jewish leaders of the day, the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and they're the ones who are hating him. 
suffering, rejection, be killed. But yet, look, look, look at this. And after three days, rise again. Think of all the benefits. Think of all the blessing. Think of the, the cosmic realities of the finished work of the cross. And so you might be sitting there thinking, well, if I have to give up my life, how am I going to gain? Well, here's the example. Jesus gave up his life. And what gain came from it? Ultimate gain. Eternal gain. Not temporary, not partial, but fullness of blessing. Thomas Aquinas, one of the early church fathers, he said this in light of this cross idea. He said, if you will bear the cross, it will bear you. If you are willing to take up your cross, lose your life for the sake of Christ, you will gain it. Bear the cross, it will bear you. And again, our biggest challenge here is comfort. Comfort. Because church, we need people to go on mission again. We need people to, to, to get plugged in again to the mission of the gospel. We need people to go and plant churches again. We need people to go to unreached people groups. Imagine if we're only going to do that when we feel comfortable, when we've reached that comfortable phase in life. There are Christians that we know recently that relocated from paradise, Port Elizabeth, to the Middle East, sold their home, sold everything, left their grown-up kids in Port Elizabeth to go and share the gospel to the unreached people in the Middle East. And we know that when we said goodbye, we hugged, we prayed, we blessed them, we prayed for them, we trusted, we said goodbye, we, we said we knew in that moment we might not ever see these people again because they're going. They're going to lose their life for his sake and the gospels. And I'm concerned that, that we, we still need people to do that. But if, if, we're, if we're just reflecting the culture, if we're just so culturally shaped rather than gospel shaped, who's going to go? I mean, we, we, in some ways, we're struggling even to get people into church on a Sunday into nice air-conditioned buildings, not, in, not even the Middle East, just here on a Sunday. And, and then part of the challenge is, well, you know, maybe we need to tweak things. You know, uh, I've heard recently that our sermons are too long. Okay, let's cut it down by five minutes. Oh, well, no, no, it's not too long. It's too boring. Okay, we need to spice it up. We need to throw in a bit of humor. Oh, no, okay, actually, it's about the coffee. The coffee's not great. Okay, let's get the best single origin in town or whatever it might be. Are we really going to go there? Is that really what we're going to do to try and get people back? You know what comfortable church does? Comfortable church just feeds the nauseating narcissism of our day. Listen to what Brett McCracken says. He says, occasional or when convenient appearances at church will hardly shape us. But showing up weekly and immersing yourself in a church's not about me orientation can do wonders for your spiritual sanity. Uncomfortable truth, uncomfortable community, uncomfortable mission. 
And my last point, and this is very quick. The first thing we looked at was the cost of being a disciple, and it's costly. But the last thing we need to notice here is the cost of not being a disciple. The cost of not being a disciple is far, far higher. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. Jesus is warning us that that day is coming. When the crowds and the disciples, the goats and the sheep will be separated. And these are solemn words. Christ himself will be ashamed of us. If we have not heard these words, applied these words, if we have not surrendered our hearts to the lordship of Jesus Christ, Listen to how he says it in verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You see, what Christ is after here is the joy of your soul, the eternal joy of your soul. And and he's giving us a simple contrast here. You can have everything that the world offers you, and in doing so, you will lose your soul. If you only pursue comfort and materialism. It will just feed the me-centered realities of your life and that will just be nauseating. But if you lose your life for Christ's sake, you will gain your soul's longings, the true longings of your heart. Do you know what Jesus is saying here? He's saying that if you gain the whole world, it's not gonna satisfy It's not going to satisfy your soul's longing. You you can have everything the world offers you. It won't satisfy your true longings. I close with this. In the 8th century, 800 AD, there was a a famous king, King Charlemagne, who was a a builder of an impressive empire called the Holy Roman Empire. And by the way, it wasn't holy and neither was it very Roman. But we're told that he was one of the wealthiest, greatest kings in that known world. And about 200 years after his death, so around 1000 AD, there was another emperor who modeled his rule over from the, the life of King Charlemagne. And he was so enamored by King Charlemagne that one day he decided to take a whole troop of people to where Charlemagne was buried, to his tomb. And they were going to unearth him and, and, and pay homage to him. And, and this is in history books. And they, they, they literally tell us that the words were, we were going to go see Charles. We were going to go see Charles. And it says that the first thing that hit them was the stench. And the second thing that hit them was that he was sitting. He wasn't lying down. He was not buried lying down in a casket like we would expect. He was sitting, but he wasn't just sitting. He was sitting on a throne. He was sitting on a throne with a crown, a gold crown on his head. He had a scepter in his one hand, and in the other hand, he had a Bible. And it was just, apparently there was a torn glove, a torn glove and bony fingers sticking out. A little bit gross, but just go with me. And the Bible was opened to Mark 8, verse 36. For what does it profit a man 
if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul. And we don't know. We don't know if Charlemagne actually counted the cost and became a Christian or if actually this was his message to the rest of the world that if you find me, this is my message. I gained everything and yet it is worthless. And so I want to call us, church, back to, this is a simple message. This isn't rocket science, right? I want to call us back to Christian discipleship. To, to being followers of Jesus, not the progressive Jesus that, that's being preached in the streets out there, not this popularized version of Jesus, this kind of deconstructed, easy to fit into my life Jesus. No, the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus of the Christian faith, the Jesus that calls us to deny ourselves, to take up our sacrificial commitment to following Him, and fulfilling our own heart's desires. Which will you be? Will you be part of the crowd? Or will you be a disciple? And maybe you're here tonight and you've never even actually made that decision. That actually I want to I stop following the nauseating ways of the world because I've had enough of myself. You look within and either you're angry or you're anxious. And the, the reality is that because it's you at the center. And, and what I'm calling us to is to a great big vision. A vision of a kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom with a king who's ruling and reigning. His name is Jesus. And he's saying, follow me. Come, be a disciple. It's going to be difficult, but it's worth it. So I'm going to ask the music team to come up, and we're going to pray. And I don't know where you're at in your heart. And I think maybe there's three, three different groups of people here tonight. Maybe you've, you're looking in. Maybe you've never been interested in Christianity. And I just submit to you that, that, that the ways of Christ are worth looking into. And I want to encourage you to, to search to search, to study, to, to consider the person and the works of Jesus. But then maybe there's a second person that, that maybe you've been just, you know, you've crossed the line of faith, you've, you, you call yourself a Christian, but actually you've never really signed up for true discipleship. And we want to just say to you, come. Come on the journey. Come on the Calvary road. Come on the narrow road because it's the narrow road that leads to life. The broad road, Jesus said, leads to death. And then there are disciples in the room. Disciples, I want to call us to mission. To go and make more disciples. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would stir our hearts. We thank you that Jesus Christ gave up his life so that we can have true life, life everlasting, abundant life, true life. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are not only the perfect substitute, but you are the perfect example. And you call us to follow in your footsteps, to follow your ways. And your ways are good, Lord. They are good. And they might be difficult, but they are good. 
you know what's good for us, Lord. We, we don't know how arrogant of us to think we know what's best. And so we pray, Father, that you would stir our hearts as we've heard this word, that you would bring conviction, that you would bring comfort, you'd bring direction, you'd bring healing, you'd bring fresh challenge. And that we would know the joy of following Christ with radical commitment. We'd know the joy of self-denial. We'd know the joy of self-forgetfulness. We'd know the joy of exalting Jesus above ourselves. Come, Holy Spirit, and work in our hearts, we pray. Amen.